Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California, Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Aaron. And third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, everybody. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on this episode, we're going to talk about the moral development, stages of moral development, and how that can be associated or related to violence. And to do that, we have, we're very pleased and honored to have join us once again for this discussion, Dr. Bandy X. Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Get Psyched. Thank you for having me. Let's let's start this episode by just giving a little bit of background on the stages of moral development, what that means, maybe Kohlberg's stages of moral development. Who would like to address that? I would love to address that. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> I'm going to start with my discomfort as uh, discussed with Tosh, and maybe Tosh will help us further with this, but... We're a little bit living in the past here in our fields and on the show. Uh, this is a guy who only studied men. This is a guy who felt that women had um, some deficiencies in their moral <laughs> reasoning. You're, talk- you're talking about uh, Lawrence Colbert. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and that's the person who still has psychiatry's premier lauded theory of moral development. So I think we should mention, I'm going to have... Uh, we'll mention some some other stuff a little later um, related to someone named Carol Gilligan, who is actually a student of or research assistant of Kohlberg. But we'll start with the stages. So Kohlberg, Lawrence Kohlberg, um, he was inspired by Piaget. Uh, I guess there was he was getting on the, the train of let's make some some stages. Uh, I think that's like the <laughs> ticket. If you're trying to if you're trying to get famous in psych, you should make some stages. Um I'm going to make some some stages of dinner appreciation later. Okay, so uh, stage one, hungry. Okay, okay. So um, we have stage one, which is infancy, uh, obedience, and punishment. So this is just like super simple, um, classical, and maybe operant conditioning. Uh, it's also been referred to as blind egoism. So the rules are fixed and absolute. And you're doing the right thing as long as you haven't been uh, slapped or your milk hasn't been taken away or whatever. It's, it's very, very simple. Um, and we continue into preschool with that level of simplicity and only a slight improvement in the moral stage. And this is actually the same stage by some models. So there's in some, mo- so, so Lawrence Kohlberg's stages are six stages, but really um, they were kind of also intended as three stages with two sub stages each. So this is really part of stage one. It's like stage one B versus, um, for the purpose of boards, it might be referred to as stage two for any resident listeners out there. So, um, this is instrumental egoism. This is the, the preschooler whose interest is in the rewards rather than the punishment. So in that sense, maybe they're moving forward and there's this like, not so sophisticated Machiavellian thing of, of like, how am I going to get my lollipop? Um, and 
then we and and one of the interesting things that I find about this is like you can kind of look into this as it relates to um, Sapolsky and his talks about like game theory in the animal kingdom. Some of these really low stages, you can see animals doing them too. Um, and then we start to get more. We start to use our kind of like higher order brains, and we get to school age. Um, and then we have social relationships and conformity and interpersonal accord. Um, and you'll notice I'm not giving like specific, I'm giving more than one specific name for each one. That seems to be what's out there that different people are calling these stages, different things. Um, so this is a lot of people call this the good boy or good girl stage where that's basically what's happening. So what can I do to make others see me as a good boy or good girl? And it ends there. It's just like people pleasing. Um, and the next stage, which is a again, the next sub stage. So we're, we're either, we're getting, we're either going from three to four or two a to two B, um, on the three part system. So that's authority and social order. And this is where people come out, become kind of a little more, what we would call concrete in psychiatry. So they're, they're into rules, they're into the social systems and they're trying to maintain the rules. So like, you know, an inability to depart from the rules and see that the rules were just made there as put there as guidelines to try to help our, us be our best selves. Um, maintaining the, the social order. So someone who's very focused on uh, you can't cut, you can't cut, even if the person they cut, you know, went to the bathroom for half an hour and the lunch line is now wide open for them or something like that. Um, next we have, so this is referred to as adolescence by many of the models. This is stage five or by the, the three-part model. This is the beginning of stage three. And this is social contract and a contractual perspective, mutual benefit, rep reciprocity. It starts to be a little more enlightened. And by, by some people's um, perspective, some of the kind of scholars on Kohlberg believe that many people kind of graduate here, that they don't make it to six, that and, and that, that Kohlberg had, a, it, some people say Kohlberg had intended for the sixth one to be kind of unattainable by most people. Um, that seems to be disputed. But th this one is just um, kind of a, the idea that we're all trying to help each other out and, and um, generally you should help other people that help you, which is, which is interesting because there's still a game theory going on there. Right. And then level six. So this is, get, this is universal principle. So this is considered to be what something you can only reach in adulthood by only some people, mutual respect as a universal perspective, um, morality, um, based upon trans tr principles that transcend moral mutual benefit, but also can transcend rules. And so you here's where you have people who are willing to see kind of be moral leaders. And what I think is ironic uh, and, and fun is that Kohlberg stated that, you know, what was it? Uh, women are seem to be deficient in their moral reasoning. And then Kohlberg also stated that only some people can get to six. Now we have on our show tonight, Dr. Lee, who has underwent tremendous personal suffering and sacrifice to implement higher standards on morality, who is very easily <laughs> a candidate for moral functioning level six. And Kohlberg would be rolling in his grave right now to know that a woman somehow snuck in despite her deficient, what is it? 
deficient moral reasoning to the ultimate level of um, of moral reasoning. And and with that, I'd like to go to Tosha to maybe, or yeah, Tosha, do you want to talk at all about your any thoughts you have on all of this? Well, yeah, so I wanted to clarify um, my understanding of the stages is that they are grouped together, like you were mentioning, and then the the stages are grouped into levels. So level one is pre-conventional, which incorporates stage one and stage two, and then level two is conventional, which is stage includes stage three and stage four, and then level three is post-conventional. Um, you can and- really see where he was piggybacking um off of certain other stages there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I I think you mentioned this, Alan, but basically what I had read was that the criticism of Kohlberg's work was that he was biased towards um, upper-class white Western males. Yeah, I mean, and they've seen that with when they've studied this with different cultures like there are places in India where there's this uh, connection with plants and animals, and it didn't fit them at this stage of development. It didn't fit them. They've studied this with Buddhist monks, and they appeared to have lower moral stage development than um, lay, lay folks, lay people. So it didn't seem to fit. Yeah, it didn't seem to fit. How much we would benefit from as a society if we, if we valued that as part of our – I wonder if we would have – all of the tremendously scary issues that we currently have. If we had a societal agreement of moral hierarchy that that praised connection with plants and animals. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it didn't seem to capture, yes, this cooperative kind of nonviolent kind of thinking or just maybe uh, religious spiritual beliefs. I don't but I'm not the expert, but I just I was reading some doing some reading over the weekend. Dr. Lee, you're what is your connection to this literature? What is your interest? How did you approach, get interested in this? Well, because I study violence and the causes and prevention of violence. Um, Stages of moral development naturally uh, play a role uh, since we are uh, emotional as well as cognitive beings. When we study human violence, um, our sense of um, morality plays a large role. In fact, we may think of violent offenders as being amoral or, or uh, not interested in morality, but they are actually quite preoccupied with morality to the point where they are almost obsessed. Um, mm. And, uh, well, um, uh, Freud said none feel as guilty as the saints. My uh, mentor, whom I mention often, Dr. James Gillian, uh, he, uh, he used to say, none feel as innocent as the criminals. Mm-hmm. And they are often obsessed with morality and uh, often uh, preoccupied with how the world has done them injustice. And they're probably correct in that, although um, preoccupation with that idea does not allow them to advance. Um, so I uh, I mention it a great deal in my uh, in my textbook, violence um, in the psychology of violence, and um, exactly the way that you have outlined Kohlberg's six stages versus uh, Jean Piaget's. 
um, three stages. So I, I think I might outline that uh, despite the patriarchal um, uh, upper class focus that Kohlberg brings, uh, that um, looking at the moral stages as a progression is a very useful way to to look at it. Uh, just as um, Freud outlined emotional development in stages, Jean Piaget um, outlined cognitive development, and uh, Kohlberg took that further in in uh, uh, explaining all the different features of moral development. I think it is still quite fitting in within our culture, which is the uh, Western and um, in fact, hyper hierarchical uh, culture that we have in the US. Um, and you might say uh, more juvenile culture compared to the older, compared to the old world. Uh, and, I, and I do often find that these stages are useful ways of conceptualizing uh, people who uh, especially are engaged in violence. Can you say something about us as a country? Do you, can you place us in the moral development stage? <laughs> oh, well, yes. <laughs> uh, then, then you uh, go into, um, uh, I've also developed a scheme you mentioned earlier that we're into developing stages in, in, uh, psychiatry, um, and yes, even I have <laughs> to do so in in terms of societal progression. Um, uh, in in terms of how we as a society uh, perceive uh, offenders of violence, do we see them as the other, separate from ourselves, or do we see us as being a part of? Um, uh, part of the conditions that have created uh, some uh, part of the conditions that uh, push certain vulnerable individuals into violence. Um, so uh, yes, I, I think we are in, in the very early stages where we see ourselves as very different and separate from violent offenders. And so that's why we incarcerate them and punish them and uh, create a very bright line between ourselves and them and don't ever conceive ourselves as uh, being anything like them to the point where even when we are committing violence ourselves, we believe we are doing it for just reasons or because um, we are defending ourselves or even because we are the ones who are being victimized when in fact we're the offenders. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And we're talking about the stages of moral development and how there's a relationship with violence. And we're doing that with Dr. Bandy Exley, who is an expert and has studied on violence and its causes. So, okay, Dr. Lee, how would you relate this? To, how, how would you, where are these associations and uh, as far as the stages of moral development and perhaps even using your, your, your moral development stage? theory? Uh, yes. So um, 
the earlier stages are more connected with violence because we see ourselves as different from the other or um, the first stage, for example, that you mentioned the obedience, uh, obedience versus submission, I, I believe, um, where you are submitting to power uh, or you are uh, uh, reciprocating. In, in other words, you, uh, um, you're in a tit-for-tat relationship with um, the powerful. And um, so that's, that's very much uh, the might makes right stage where you believe that whoever has the power uh, is, um, is the one to uh, outline the rules and you follow those rules because the powerful individual is, is outlining them to you and uh, you submit in order not to be um, subject to violence yourself or to oppression and um so in terms of submitting to not is this a good is this a good entry point for a question or or yes please okay in terms of in terms of i mean i i couldn't help but hear in that in in terms of submitting to not be subject to violence and someone else making the rules i was hearing putin Mm -hmm. yes and, and so. not that we have a lot of moral high ground as a country who has c kind of continually spread our colonialism and uh, around the world and, and also spread uh, atomic bombs and and used atomic bombs. And so given that we we have a difficult time playing judge. Um, where do you stand on And yet all we this? do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there, there are actually a lot of similarities between the two cultures of Russia and the United States uh, in that many of the rules are concrete, as you have said, in that, uh, well, concrete and more towards obedience and punishment. Um, and how much uh, the world seems to be divided into winners and losers and, uh, and how power dictates a lot of, um, of what goes. And uh, that is why we were able to have uh, a similar leader as uh, Vladimir Putin, as, as much as, I think as much as people have seen uh, have have viewed Putin as being different than Donald Trump. Uh, the two have a great deal of similarities, and I and I um, would go ahead and comment on them with the disclaimer that uh, I think we have lost a great deal more by trying to refrain from speaking about powerful political leaders uh, when they are posing a threat to public health and safety. Uh, and that uh, those considerations and our responsibility to society as health professionals far outweigh whatever etiquette we owe to these individuals for um, so-called diagnosing them from afar, even though I've never diagnosed. Well said. Um, 
if if I can let let me just reference anyone who has any issues on that. See our episode with Dr. Lee on the Goldwater rule for a full fleshing out of the justification there. Yes, and and the Goldwater rule itself was devised and uh, actively promoted, uh, you know, far beyond its significance and and um, uh, currency in terms of um, being current in in scientific and scholarly thinking, uh, because of a culture where might makes right or um, power speaks greater than uh, than principles. Um, and uh, and we also know that the American Psychiatric Association itself has has veered away from um, from medical standards since it's been so heavily tied with industry and uh, corporate power, <laughs> um, if not uh, other forms of power. So um, yes, they have a great deal of similarity, not so much in personality uh, type, but in stage of moral development and uh, in level of disorder, you might say, because uh, if we are lower in stage of development uh, at a young age, that's normal. But when, when we remain at that stage far beyond the age where we should be, then, then it's either regression or stunted development, and that's, that signifies a disorder. So, um, so as much as people have assumed that uh, Putin was different and he was uh, shrewd, careful, calculating, even peace-loving, which is what people believe, um, mm. he turns out the, the limits of his uh, mental soundness, if you will, or, or the beginning of his fragility was shown in his attack of Ukraine this time. And so I, I think very few will see him as mentally sound at this point. Can, and, I, I see um, him as mentally sound. Can, can, I, can I just create yes, an yes. argument for that and see, see what you say? Yes, so, sure, so, sure. And I, I will preface this by saying that I know nothing about, I am not a, a political scientist and I am not well-versed in this. I am the average person as far as it comes to having researched the situation with Ukraine and Russia. Um, but given what we know about NATO countries on the map, and given what we know about the Ukraine's spectacular natural resource wealth and the concern that Putin has a, about a country being able to put tariffs on his pipelines going to Germany and elsewhere, um, and given his kind of sense of what the what a real kind of proper Russia looks like in terms of including um, places with people who identify strongly with kind of the Russian identity. And given what Putin knows about, maybe has correctly calculated about our own reticence to engage with him. Mm -hmm. This could be construed. And I think by many people, um, in Russia, you know, he does have a lot of popular support. This could be construed as him 
you know, making a a well-calculated decision to violently and unapologetically kind of have Russia move towards their place in the world. Now, do I think that's moral? No. But do I think that he is operating in a place of sanity, a la many of the kind of world's despots? Yeah, I don't. And I think in that sense, he's much more stable than Trump. He seems like a very apt Mm -hmm. chess player. Uh, of course, he's he is a very uh, adept uh, chess player as well as a calculator. And um, uh, yes, he's very cool and calculating, and um, that is all true. But as to whether that is sanity and mental soundness, that that might be disputable because I I happen to think that those traits are actually very debil- debilitating because eventually they bring they bring a great deal of destruction to others seemingly at um profit to oneself mm. uh or um advancing in relative terms if if one can't uh win um in in a, a more fair situation uh i i would agree also that uh he is not isolated in this that Many people have driven him to this, and and we have greatly contributed. Um, even the expansion of NATO itself beyond uh, beyond surface agreement in terms of the, the initial relations with Russia when when the walls went down. Um, so uh, there there is a great deal of. Uh, responsibility on our part as well. And so it might be seen as a reasonable response to an, to an extreme situation. Um, well, uh, th- that is the part where having treated offenders of violence and those who are often labeled as sociopathic, and I and I see sociopathy as really a societal disorder, not an individual one, uh, mm. where where a society's pathologies are uh, are distilled in individuals. Um, in that sense, he is not isolated, and he would not be who he is uh, if the world were different. But he also is thriving, uh, you might say, or is elevated and revered for his traits because of the world we live in, Uh, because we are a might makes right, obedience and submission um, type uh, world uh, where Machiavellian uh, methods are rewarded rather than right on a collectivist level, like on an individual level, the antisocial traits are abhorrent, but on a leadership level in this kind of real politique, um, world of warring countries, they all of a sudden, with the right population and the right circumstances, become treasured. Exactly. And that itself is uh, somewhat a disorder in itself. Uh, What would be productive and what would be actually um, life-affirming would be if we did not uh, so admire such individuals for their shrewdness or or calculating violence and 
um, because these are actually debilitating traits. They are dysfunctional traits that bring about um, destruction to others and eventually destruction also to the self. Uh, that That's a part that we often overlook because we look at, uh, I mean, certainly these individuals gather some type of uh, advantage for oneself in a narrow sense, but eventually they are self-destructive. So, so that's why I don't see it as a, as a healthy orientation and, um, and even their rigidity and the inability to, to change course even when Putin sees that he is not going to, uh, not likely to win in this situation, he does not change course, but rather doubles down and um, and is is putting our entire species at existential risk at this point, uh, rather than to uh, save what he can. And this is the same that happened with other despots throughout history, and that is why it is so dangerous to put them in such power positions. Uh, in, in charge of such dangerous weapons. And that is what we are increasingly doing. Uh, there's, uh, there's a disproportionate number of um, so disordered individuals in leadership positions, be they uh, CEOs or um, politicians or, uh, you know, even presidents. Um, Dr. Ian Hughes, who contributed to the second edition of our book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, he wrote a book of his own called Dangerous Minds, um, uh, which, uh, or I believe it's Disordered Minds, uh, how, how um, dangerous personality disorders are disproportionately represented in in power positions and that is imperiling not just democracy but uh but um entire security of nations and uh and of the world you know dr lee i'm just gonna um, interrupt you um because we're we need to end the show but we will uh continue on in an extended version thank you for joining us on this edition and we talked about stages of moral development and violence also, thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkusai.gmail.com. And you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as an extended version of the show, including this show. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistant is Benjamin Metrican. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. Okay, kid, uh, continue with your thought. Actually. Yes, um, it's important, I believe, that's the, the, the dangerousness of many world leaders at this time uh, points to the need for us to be not only educated in mental health, but uh, to improve our state of collective mental health so that we are not so attracted to mentally impaired leaders in the first place. And um, and I believe that you are doing just that by educating audiences of mental health issues and psychological principles and stages as you uh, 
as you have outlined for uh, for the moral stages of development. Um, I think it's worth noting that um, uh, that these stages are culture bound, as you mentioned, and that there are different cultures that organize themselves differently. Uh, they have not thrived against uh, Western culture, which has been uh, very uh, military might oriented and um, power oriented. But um, I also had the chance of doing a uh, medical anthropology fellowship um, through the National Institute of Mental Health um, after residency, and I spent a couple years in Tanzania. And my my interest in that country was because uh, all the surrounding regions were coming to war at the time in tribal conflict. But Tanzania was peaceful with, a, with more than 120 different tribes. Uh, they had the lowest GDP in the world when I arrived, and yet they were uh, able to coexist and um, and cooperate. Um, the uh, the president uh, after their independence was uh, Julius Nerere was an educator and an enlightened leader who led a very transparent government, unlike a lot of others uh, in the area. And uh, he applied something that he called African socialism. And that was a very cooperative, uh, egalitarian uh, society that unified all the different tribes with a common language, Swahili, and um, and there was no hierarchy. And uh, that allowed for a culture to, I, I guess, continue because it's always been their culture, uh, where um, there's there's almost a radical cooperation and um, and opportunity for everyone to have a say. Um, uh, hierarchy went only by age group and you belong to a group not uh, you were not singled out as as the most powerful one uh, the villages had a chief but uh, but their dominance was minimal and and it was mostly respect driven rather than uh, might driven uh, so in other words bottom up and and this was a culture where competition, was hard was hardly existent. Uh, no one starved uh, unless the whole village starved, mm. and and this was a culture without violence. You can almost imagine that they are actually starting at stage six, not mm. uh, attaining it. You know, it's really fascinating when you're talking about how these nations are in these different stages of moral development and how that has an immediate impact or, or a direct impact on violence. So uh, I, I want to I kind of ask, I can't resist asking about some prescription for us as a people. Uh, like how, there, you know, there's various things we could do, things like, you know, empathy taking perhaps, or, uh, you know, we were founded in violence, like you were saying, and we were a very competitive nation. It, what can we do individually and as a people 
so that uh, we can maybe advance in our moral development and reduce our violence and reduce the production of these antisocial folks that cause a lot of problems. Yes, that's interesting that you mentioned a prescription because uh, the World Mental Health Coalition and I are devising a prescription for survival. <laughs> and it is based very much on cooperation and the idea that all are responsible for all. Mm. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, if we single out the violent offender and uh, consider them as others, then what we end up doing is we end up scapegoating. Uh, whereas if we consider ourselves all in it together and that society needs to repair itself for violence not to occur, then uh, then we can look at how we are all contributing and uh, how we can all play a role to reduce violence. And whatever small amount we can do uh, makes a difference to the whole. So that actually gives more room for hopefulness as well as opens up uh, all different levels and avenues for making uh, making a positive change. Uh, so, um, well, I'll just leave it at that for now. Our prescription for survival will be published at the end of this month um, with uh, specific steps we can take uh, as a world community to prevent violence in the future and, and to stop our, um, our advance toward uh, you know, self-destruction, which is where we're headed with the, the climate, uh, the climate crisis and nuclear war and, um, and worldwide conflict. Um, but that's that's not the only way we can be. In fact, it's uh, in my view, it's a disorder that we can we can all together help ourselves to heal from. I am going to be anxiously waiting for that publication and going to read that for sure. Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you again for having me. And if you'd like to look it up, we're at, we're at worldmhc.org. And the prescription will be published on prescriptionforsurvival.org. Nice. Thank you so much. And thank you for all your time that you've devoted to the show. I really appreciate it. The, everyone appreciates it and you know, the thank audience you so appreciates much. it. Well, thank you for doing such an interesting show. Thank you. Have a nice uh, night. Thank you. You too. Take care. You Bye, too. Dr. Bye -bye. Lee. Bye-bye. Bye, Dr. Lee.